Well, this morning we're going to just pick back up kind of where we left off a few weeks ago in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14 this morning. Uh, several years ago, when I was in seminary during uh, either the summer break or the, the winter break around Christmas time, uh, I would make the road trip from San Francisco, from the San Francisco Bay Area to Albuquerque. And it's about a thousand miles and 15 or 16 hours, depending on how fast I'm driving. Um, and, uh, and, and I did get pulled over for speeding one time. Um, so it wasn't my fault, really, but we don't need to go into that. It, it was my fault. I paid the ticket. Um, so a long drive, right, that I made yeah, two, well, at least once going and uh, coming and once going back. So about four times I made that drive uh, at least each year. And it was a long drive. And if any of you have driven down I-5 from Northern California to Southern California, um, you know that that is the most God-awful stretch of highway maybe in the nation. It's terrible. Uh, it, there's just nothing to look at, and it's dry and boring and flat. Uh, but once you hit I-40 and coming through, it gets a little bit prettier. But still, it's a long drive, 15 hours. It's kind of a slog. Uh, But the only reason I was able to make it through the drive, usually in one shot, was because I knew where I was going at the end, right? I was going to be home. I was going to be, uh, you know, in a bed that I, that was comfortable and with family and get to see friends and all that. I, I was able to make the trip because of the destination that I was looking ahead to, right? That, that helped me to get through it, knowing where I was going. Uh, many of you will probably take road trips like that this summer, uh, going on vacation with your family or maybe long plane flights, whatever the case may be. And you know that usually traveling is not always uh, that exciting until you get to where you're going. Um, and, and so it is the destination that helps us to get through the, the journey many times. Now, if I had to make that trip from San Francisco to Albuquerque by car because I had to come to, you know, let's say my sister was sick or hurt in the hospital or somebody had died and had to come to a funeral, that 15 hours would not be an enjoyable or, or very endurable drive. That, those thousand miles would feel like a million knowing what was at the destination, right? So you, you see how the destination changes how we see the path that we're on and the journey that we're taking. And, and Jesus has truth for us along those lines in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount here. Hopefully by now you've all found your place in your copy of God's Word, and this is what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In this passage, we have both a command from Christ and an explanation to that command. So first, let's look at the command. The command is to enter by the narrow gate, first part of verse 13. This command, if we were just to pick it up, uh, you know, from this point in Scripture, just pick up the Bible, open to Matthew 7, not having been studied through it or whatever, just read these verses. Uh, this command to enter by the narrow gate might seem oddly out of place, might seem disconnected from the Scripture uh, around it. Jesus was just talking about asking God for things in verse 12, whatever you wish, uh, or in verses, uh, excuse me, 7 through 11, uh, praying with persistence. Jesus was just talking about doing unto others what we would want them to do to us in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. 
And now he's talking about entering through a narrow gate, which begs the question, I think, what does this have to do with anything that we're supposed to be? In, what does this have to do with anything? And what are we supposed to be entering into? What does it have to do with what Jesus has just said? And what are we what is it that we're entering into? He doesn't say he just says enter by the narrow gate. Again, we have a wonderful example of why reading and understanding and interpreting Scripture in its context is so important and ultimately so helpful. Right? So let's review some of that context. Jesus' command here isn't without connection to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? In fact, it serves as the beginning of his conclusion to this sermon. And as we review the course of the Sermon on the Mount, we, we find first in Matthew chapter 5 the Beatitudes, right, verses 1 through 12, the, the attitude, the kind of heart, the, the, the kind of uh, life that goes along with one who lives in the kingdom. And then he has that statement about being salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that followed by Jesus' statement that his ministry was not to abolish the law and the prophets, but uh, to fulfill them, right? And just after he says this, that, that I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then from Matthew 5, verse 21, through chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus has been preaching on what many might call a kingdom ethic, a, a lifestyle for the kingdom, what your life ought to look like as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is the way that citizens of the kingdom are to live and to act. And his kingdom ethic, if you will, culminates in chapter 7, verse 12, which we saw four or five weeks ago, where Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That sound similar to what he said earlier in chapter 5, that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also them. This is the law and the prophets. All of the kingdom ethic portion of the Sermon on the Mount then ultimately shows us that we are personally incapable of actually fulfilling this ethic. Right? Jesus talks about anger, right? He says, you've heard it been said that you should not, you shall not murder. But I tell you the truth, even if you're angry with your brother and you say to him, you fool, you are guilty of murder. Right? And he talks about adultery and lust and the connection between the two. It's not enough that you not just commit adultery. Don't even have lustful thoughts, Jesus says. And we review all of these things throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and we see that every single point along the way, we have failed. The kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees is impossible to attain for any one of us. We are, it is impossible for us in and of ourselves to be perfectly righteous. Nevertheless... Jesus commands those who are listening to enter into the kingdom by the narrow gate. It is right to understand verse 13 in the context of the Sermon on the Mount as a command that is impossibly difficult to accomplish. We should read verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, and, and say to ourselves, I can't. It is impossible. Yet the command by Jesus indicates that it is not impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. Having learned that our own righteousness then cannot exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, knowing that our own righteousness is never enough for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we're left only to conclude at this point that the narrow gate to the kingdom can only be entered uh, if someone else's righteousness, which is perfect, is imparted to us, is given to us, is accounted to us. We need someone else's righteousness to enter, is what we learn from the first part of verse 13. 
Church, this passage is, at its heart, about the exclusivity of Christ for salvation. By that, I mean that the entrance to the kingdom of heaven can only come through Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is co-eternal and co-existent with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the only perfect God-man who took on flesh, being fully God and fully man, is the only human being to ever live the perfectly obedient and sinless life that is required of all who wish to enter the kingdom of heaven. He alone is truly righteous among men. And Christ alone died on the cross as the cleansing and atoning sacrifice for our disobedience to God and for our sin. And then he physically and bodily rose from the dead in defeat of the disastrous effects of sin. All of this God did. The Son of God taking on humanity so that there would once and for all be salvation from sin for fallen sinful people like you and like me. This salvation we receive but by one means. There's only way, one way to receive this salvation from sin. That is by faith and repentance. Trusting Christ, turning from sin. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us it is by grace we've been saved through faith and this not of ourselves, not by works, so that no man can boast. You want to enter into the kingdom? There is but one way, and it has nothing to do with you, but, but with the one who has done everything for you. Recognizing that there's nothing on our own that we can do to merit favor with God or to gain a a just God's forgiveness for our treasonous rebellion against him, we must trust fully in the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf to be saved. He who did not deserve to die took our place on the cross and willingly gave his own righteous, perfect life to rescue our rotten, stinking, dirty, no-good souls. Church, that's true about us, right? Our souls are rotten, dirty, no good, filthy, awful things in and of ourselves. I know my heart and I know the things that I thought and did this week, all right? So I can say that I am a a dirty, no good, rotten, uh, scum of the earth kind kind of being, right? Apart from Christ. But by faith in Christ and turning from our sin, turning away from our sin and turning to be obedient to Christ and to following him, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And so we are covered in his perfection so that when God the Father, the good and righteous judge, when he looks upon us, he doesn't see our sin and our rottenness, but he sees his son's perfect righteousness. He looks upon the record of debt of our uh, the, the record of debt that our sin has created and he sees that Christ and in Christ it has been paid in full. The gate is narrow because the road to a right relationship with God is singular. That is there's only one. There's only one way to a relationship with God. There are those who would tell a story that pictures God sitting uh, high atop this mountain. And at the bottom of the mountain are all of humanity, and we're all trying to get to the top. Some will take a direct but maybe somewhat treacherous route to the summit. Others would wind their way merrily to the top over a long period of time. And yet others would choose any one of many paths to get to him. Yet in Scripture, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus himself says that I am the way, the singular way, the Truth, singular truth, and the life, singular life. No one, he says, definitively, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So this picture of God as, as one who sits atop a mountain and, and, and allows any of a number of infinite paths for people to get to him is just plainly not true in Scripture. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we hear even from the mouths of Peter and John as they confront the Jewish ruling council, they say, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so this picture of God atop the mountain with many paths to the summit and the words of Scripture about the way to God are mutually exclusive. That means that they cannot both be true at the same time. Okay? We can hold God's sovereignty and, and human free choice, human agency. We can hold those two things together in tension. They're not mutually exclusive. But, but this picture of many paths to God and of one path to God are mutually exclusive. Either there are many or there is just one, but there cannot be one in the same. Either on the one hand, God is who he says he is in Scripture and through the mouth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, or he is not. And in that case, nothing of Scripture can be trusted. And if that's where you are today, please close your Bibles and you can exit this room. I'm glad everyone stayed. If you say that you trust the Bible and what it says about God, what it says about His perfection, what it says about our sin and His Son and the way to salvation, you must believe, you must come to the conclusion that Christ is the only way into the kingdom. Otherwise, stop saying you believe Scripture. Stop saying you believe the Bible. If you don't believe that Christ is the only way, then stop saying you believe this book. Put it away. Let it gather dust on your shelf like any of a number of others. But if you say you believe it, then believe it. Praise be to God that he's given us but one perfect way to salvation and into the kingdom. Praise be to God that we don't have to wonder about how to be saved, how to be right with our creator. Praise be to God that he's not a God of secrecy or of ambiguity, but a God who loves us through his clarity and how it is that we are saved and may enter the kingdom. Praise God for that. He's not hid himself in mystery and veiled himself in a theological cloud of whatever, right? But he's made himself clear in human language that we might know him and not be confused, not be led astray, not be wondering about our spiritual destination. The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter once said this, that God takes not pleasure in the death of sinners, but rather that they return and live. But men take such pleasure in sin that they will die before they return. They will die before they repent. The Lord Jesus, Baxter goes on to say, was content to be their physician and has provided them a sufficient plaster of his own blood. But if men make light of it and will not apply it, what wonder is it if they perish after all? Here's what this means for us today. This command to enter by the narrow gate. If you have repented from your sin and you are trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation today, rejoice that you are in the kingdom. Rejoice. That's worthy of praise. Thank you, God, for what you've done. This is good news to us. It's a good reminder. But today, if you would not call yourself a Christian, but you're searching for peace with God, you're, you're searching for answers to your spiritual questions, your questions about, about life and, and spirituality and, and where we go when we die, know today that God has already done for you all that you need to be right with Him. Know that today. This is good news for you, friend who is not yet a Christian. 
that God has already done for you everything that you need done in order to be right with him. And there's nothing you can do to make it better. There's nothing you can do to make it worse. All you got to do is trust in Christ. Turn today from the fruitless search for new and unique ways to God or enlightenment. Trust the only and certain way to know him. Trust Jesus Christ today. Be saved today. Enter into real and fulfilling, abundant spiritual life today by trusting in Jesus. Don't leave here today still wondering about your relationship with God. Come find me. Come find Danny. Come find Pastor Bruce. Any one of us, anybody else in these seats and ask us, how can I be right with God today? Before you leave these doors, don't leave with that question on your mind today. So though it would seem obvious, the command to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate of Christ's righteousness, Christ's perfection through Christ alone is not without reason or explanation. Faced with a choice, it is the reflex of humanity to ask, why the narrow road? What are my options here? Why why just a 40-inch TV? There's a 55-inch over there. We like choices in America, don't we? That's why there's a Burger King next to a Wendy's next to a McDonald's. We pretty much all sell the exact same thing, right? And based on our our desire for the day, we choose one or the other. We like choices. We want choices. And when it comes to spirituality and a relationship with God, we want choices. Yeah, I believe there's a God, but I don't want to be right with him that way. I don't believe that's really true about me, so I'm going to go about it this direction. So Jesus graciously gives an explanation of what your options are. And in this explanation, he shows us two roads and two destinations. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We find here there are only two roads. Essentially, there are only two paths. There are only two courses of action to follow when it comes to responding to Jesus' command. We can either take the easy road or we can take the hard one. Each with its own uh, respective destination. And to further explain this command to enter the kingdom by the narrow gate, Jesus describes in terse, that is very short, but vivid detail, the two roads and precisely where they end up. First, we have the wide easy, popular road, verse 13b. Well, the second part of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14 have this statement, for the gate is, right, dot, dot, dot. This is an explanatory phrase, right? Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus tells us, because the easy road is not what it seems. Isn't it interesting to note that there is a choice in the matter? You can choose one road or the other. There's freedom in that. Yes, Jesus commands that we enter by the narrow gate, but his command doesn't come without freedom for each of us to choose the alternative. And there's a seemingly altogether different path to take. There is, in fact, a wide, easy road that we can travel. Obviously, Jesus is not talking about literal paths, literal gates to enter, but these words become metaphors for spiritual things, for spiritual directions. And there exists a spiritual direction other than what Jesus is instructing his listeners to take. The other gate. The gate to the other path is broad, is 
wide, Jesus says. The Greek word that's used here is platea, similar to our, our English word plateau, right? It was like a, like a mesa. We have a plateau right out here to the west of us where the land kind of slopes up and then it gets real flat all across the top, right? The way is broad. The gate, the gate is broad. The gate is wide. Not only is the entrance to the other direction broad, but the road traveled is easy. This word for easy means spacious, even with the implication that it's also agreeable and pleasant. So the gate to the other road is wide. It's easy to get into. The road, the, the path that it travels is easy. It's, it's, it's pleasant. It's nice. It's a lovely road. Beyond that, we find that there are also many who travel down this. It's popular. Catch what Jesus is saying. There exists an option other than what he is offering and instructing that is actually easier to enter, more pleasant to travel, and filled with lovely friends. Okay? Who wouldn't want to travel that road? It's like a party on the Autobahn, right? With lots of on-ramps and plenty of lanes. There's no speed limit and lots of other beautiful, expensive cars blazing down the open highway right along with you. It's lovely. There's a massive problem here. With this road. On this highway, there are no off ramps. The cars have no brakes. And the end of the road is not a beautiful city, but a cliff. Broad is the gate. Easy is the way, Jesus says. And many people travel down this road that leads only to destruction. That word, destruction is used purposefully by Jesus and by other New Testament writers throughout Scripture. Biblically speaking, destruction is not a process, but a destination. If you like to watch some of these home improvement shows, there's very often demolition day, right? Destruction day. A process of bringing things down, right? Of tearing down walls and breaking up, you know, uh, messed up sidewalks and those kinds of things, whatever the case might be. But in Scripture, destination, uh, destruction is not a process, but a destination. Throughout the New Testament, this word is used to refer to the very opposite of eternal life in the presence of God. Destruction is the end of all sinners apart from Christ. It is the destination of the idolatrous, of the false prophet, of the ungodly, even of Satan himself. Destruction is but another way of speaking of the eternal destiny of all of those who continue in rebellion against God without ever finding forgiveness for sin through faith in Christ and repentance. We ought to read Jesus' words this way. Enter by the narrow gate. Because there's another gate that's broad and another road that is easy. And it leads to hell. And many will travel this road. This broad, easy, popular road is a farce. It's a lie. It's a sham. It promises ease and contentment in the pursuit of self and momentary happiness. But it only delivers eternal pain, separation from God, and self-imposed torment. There is another road, but look to where it leads. Again, we see Jesus contrast that with the other choice, the other road. The one that is, as we see, narrow and afflicting. The narrow and afflicted road. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The narrow gate, as we've already seen, we've already discussed, is the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the way to enter is through faith in Christ himself. 
But the way this gate leads, the road that it takes us down, stands in stark contrast to that of the wide and the easy, the popular road. Jesus says that the gate is narrow. And this because Christ is the only way to enter. Okay? But then he goes on to say that the road that follows is hard. The word Jesus uses comes from the Greek verb meaning to afflict or to oppress. A very literal way to translate Jesus' description of this road would be that it is having been afflicted, constricted, made difficult and narrow. Yet we also see that the the destination of this narrow and afflicted road is life, not destruction. And there are not many people who are on this road, but rather quite few. We do well at this point to notice the contrasting descriptions of these two roads and their destinations. On the one hand, there's the wide, the easy, the popular road that leads to death and destruction. On the other hand, there's this narrow, afflicted, unpopular way that leads to life. And at first glance, these roads and destinations might not seem quite right. right? We should expect that the road that is not threatening, that is not difficult, to be the one that leads to life and to wellness. And we should expect the hard, the narrow path to be the one that leads to peril and, and, and to destruction. But Jesus says that, that actually the opposite is true. Church, what Christ is saying is that the road to the kingdom entered through him is not and will not be easy, is not and will not be pleasant. The Christian walk as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is afflicting and oppressing and difficult. It is not an appealing road, but its destination is eternal life. The way is not appealing, but the destination most certainly is We ought to, brothers and sisters, as those who are following Christ, walking in his footsteps, desiring to be made into the image of Christ, we ought to expect difficulty in this life because of our faith and just because of what God wants to do in us. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. James, writing to the early church in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy when you meet trials. For you know, James says, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The road is hard, but it is good. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. I preached on this several weeks ago. Peter says this to the church. In this you rejoice. He's speaking about the salvation that is yet to come. Eternal life in God's presence. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Glory in suffering, glory in your affliction as a believer, glory in being oppressed by those that don't follow Christ and don't love Christ and don't want anything to do with Christ. Why? Because in that process, the tested genuineness of our faith is being proved. We we take joy in that because God's developing patience in us. He's perfecting us. He's, He's making us holier and more like Christ so that when we get to the kingdom, when we get to the destination, we can enjoy it for all that it is. 
Jesus himself suffered torture and ridicule, beating and the most humiliating of deaths that the world could imagine in order to pave this way for us. How then can we expect that in following Jesus as Lord, we would not also experience affliction in this life? Walking with Christ in God's good wisdom is and will be hard in this life. I promise you that. If it hasn't been yet, the day is coming. We should expect as much as we are swimming against the current of a world that would rather travel the broad, easy road. Following Christ, seeking His kingdom, forsaking sin and momentary pleasure for the promise of eternal life appears foolish to those who worship at the altar of self-fulfillment and personal autonomy. As we've just seen from James and from 1 Peter, God ordains, even purposes, affliction and trial in our lives as believers precisely so that He can develop in us the very character and resemblance of His Son, Jesus. Jesus, who endured all His earthly suffering for the joy of being seated at the right hand of God. Christ shows us that through the that though the journey is hard and afflicting and narrow and difficult, that it just way that and even that it just well just as well may literally kill you. To faithfully follow Jesus in this life, He shows us that the destination of eternal life in the presence of God the Father and His Son Jesus is absolutely worth it. The destination makes the journey worth it. Friends, if you became a Christian expecting that your life would be easy and that Jesus would just fix all your problems and make everything smooth, pave the way nicely before you, you have been gravely misled. And I make no bones about that. If somebody told you, brother, sister, come to Christ today and he will fix your marriage. He will put money in the bank. Jesus will make it so that you're very popular and well-liked and wealthy and, and healthy and happy. Come to Jesus today and experience those things. Brothers and sisters, you were lied to. Christ doesn't promise health and wealth and prosperity. He doesn't promise to make the conflicts in your marriage immediately better. But he does promise to develop in you his own character, his own righteousness, to make you holy like the Father wants you to be because of what he's done for you so that you can enjoy him. That doesn't mean that, that he won't over time work on those things in your life. It doesn't mean that over time Christ won't fix your marriage because I think he desires to and he wants to. That doesn't mean that Christ won't put money in the bank, but he might help you to over time see your money differently and to treat it differently. It doesn't mean that, that he might make you healthy today. Brothers and sisters who are suffering with illness, with, with cancer, with, with other ailments and things, Christ doesn't promise that He's going to make you well today. But He does promise to make you well in eternity. So travel this road, this afflicted, narrow, oppressing road with faithfulness to the Savior that has led the way. I have no intention of misleading any of us today. Know this, Christian, you can and should expect hardship in this life as God's good means of making you more like Jesus and forgetting the gospel to the world. Don't believe me? Look at the pattern of Christian history. Look at the church in the book of Acts as it's regularly oppressed and afflicted at every turn. 
Heed the words of church tradition, which tells us that every one of the 11 faithful disciples and Paul, except for John, who died in exile, every one of those disciples, those apostles of Jesus, died a martyr's death for their faith. See the church in its early history. Faithful men and women burned at the stake, fed to lions, torn limb from limb upon the rack for their profession that Jesus is Lord in the face of emperors who thought themselves gods. Hear the words of the church father Tertullian who around the year 200 wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. See also the promise of life that lies on the other side of this. On the other side of this hard path, this afflicted path, this narrow path. It's not a life that's just a little bit better than the one we have here. It's not a life that's even just a little bit longer than the one we have here. But what's on the other side, what's at the end of this narrow, hard, afflicted path, is a life that is infinitely better and eternally longer than this one. And it's in the very place we were created to be, to exist, the presence of God. There are then, as we see in Scripture, few who find this gate and walk this way. There are few not because it's held secret, and there are few not because it requires some kind of special mystical knowledge or vision to find, but rather there are few who will find the gate that is Christ and walk the path which is the Christian life, because when compared with the broad, easy way, it just seems too hard. Acknowledging Christ as the only way to salvation requires complete And total self-denial. Complete reliance upon Him. And walking according to the kingdom ethic. The kind of life that, that Jesus requires of those of us who are citizens of the kingdom. Walking in light of... Uh, Walking in in kingdom ethic in light of salvation that we receive requires intense physical and spiritual discipline. The wide road is always beckoning. And there are plenty of ways to, to turn around and get off that narrow path and take the easy route. It's really simple to do that. And so it requires personal discipline, spiritual discipline to stay on the difficult path that Christ has forged for us. That Christ is leading us down. Certainly billions of true Christians have lived and died and are living still who have found the gate and are walking in the way. Right? And we wouldn't say billions is necessarily few. Right? But in the scope of history, there are relatively few. The truth that Jesus is describing is that true followers of Jesus, true believers, true Christians who trust in His saving grace, who seek to live disciplined and holy lives, who endure persecution and suffering for the faith, will always be in the cultural and global minority. Why? Precisely because that way is hard. Given the choice, we want the easy way out, right? That's, that's why you hear on the radio all, of these time, all, all the time these infomercials for these like get rich quick kind of things, right? You can get rich tomorrow, make six figures tomorrow working part time, uh, buying and selling foreclosed houses. Right? We want the easy way out. But life isn't the easy way. Life is found in, in pursuing the hard path, the, the narrow path, the, the path that is afflicted. The invitation to Christ to follow Him that says, Come to Jesus and He'll make your life easier is a false gospel and deserves to be condemned by the church today. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you may know, a German Christian theologian who was executed in a Nazi concentration camp because of his support for, uh, 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 for the Jews in Germany, uh, because of his desire to, uh, to not, uh, because he would not capitulate to the Nazi state and their uh, state church, but he uh, fought to be a part of the confessing church in Germany. He calls this kind of grace cheap grace. The kind of grace that says, come to Jesus and your life will get easier. That's cheap grace. He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Taking this further, cheap grace is the kingdom of heaven by way of the broad and easy road. It isn't real grace. It doesn't require real faith, and it doesn't lead to the kingdom of heaven. For the person here this morning who's not a Christian, understand me today when I say that if you want to become a Christian so that you can have an easy and a prosperous life here and now, you are mistaking the journey for the destination. Because the road that leads to life very often will get you there by way of bitter pain for your allegiance to King Jesus. But hear this as well. The destination, which is resurrection from the dead, which is eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of God himself, is worth these momentary trials. 70, 80, 90 years lived in affliction for your faith is but a drop in the bucket of eternity. You can endure, you must endure uh, affliction and oppression and difficulty in this life for the joy that is set before us, which is eternal life in God's presence. For each and every one of us, this, this means something very clear. Today, before you leave, before you walk out these doors, choose the road that you will take. Either the narrow or the broad. But take it based not on the appearance of the road, but upon the destination to which it will lead. The choice between the narrow road of repentance and of faith, of turning from sin and trusting in Christ, and the wide road of sin and selfishness, between finding life or meeting destruction, the choice between these two is found all throughout Scripture. It's a constant theme. It was there with Adam and Eve in the garden. When God said, you may eat from any tree but this one. And if you eat from this one, you shall surely die. And we see the choice that Adam and Eve make and, and the results of sin that, that we experience and share in even today. That choice between the, the narrow, hard road and the broad, easy road is there in Deuteronomy chapter 30. When Moses is giving his parting exhortation, his farewell sermon to the people of Israel, after he's just recapitulated, retold all of the law that God had given to them in their wandering in the wilderness, he says this to Israel, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, Moses says, choose life. And it is here from the mouth of Jesus who says, who says, enter by the narrow gate. For broad is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And oh, how narrow is the gate. How hard is the way that leads to life. 
Often in popular philosophy today, notice I said popular, not good. Popular philosophy says that the journey is the destination. Right? It's this sort of ephemeral, kind of amorphous sort of thing. Just enjoy, just enjoy life, right? That is the destination. The destination is just what's what you're doing. The road trip is what you're doing, right? There's no, you're not going anywhere. You're just road tripping, man. The statement is what you would expect from, from the relativistic, semi-postmodern, experiences truth sort of philosophy that we find ourselves surrounded by. The journey is the destination, And the many other statements that mirror this sentiment seek to find meaning in the processes of life and not so much in the product. And find meaning in the journey, but not in the destination. But what this kind of philosophy either denies or implicitly ignores is that the process absolutely determines the product. And that the direction absolutely determines the destination. You can't get from San Francisco to Albuquerque uh, via the, the Pacific Coastal Highway going north. Right? You go that way, you go to Canada, okay? not Albuquerque. Right? The, des- the, the, the direction absolutely determines the destination. And so here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus gives us two directions. He gives us two roads to choose from and two specific destinations that will result from these paths. And the call for each of us today, believer or non-believer, is to choose today the one that leads to life. Life with the king. Life through the king. Life because of the king who gave himself as a sacrifice for us. That we might not have to take the wide, easy, broad road that leads us off a cliff. But that we might faithfully endure through faith in Christ and repentance from sin through this narrow, afflicted, difficult road being made into the image, the character of the one that has saved us. Not becoming him, but becoming like him so that at the end of the road, we share in the glory that is eternal life with God. Brothers and sisters, if if you have given into in your own life this gospel That if you just come to Jesus, you just walk down that aisle, you just pray that prayer and he'll fix everything in your life. Brothers and sisters, hear me, hear me clearly today. You have been gravely misled. And at every turn, when you are afflicted and tried, when you experience oppression and difficulty in trial, whether by the hand of God or through the hands of man, you will always see or experience some sort of disappointment in the gospel you thought you were accepting. But hear today the the biblical gospel. That there is a good, holy, righteous, and just God who exists in all eternity, who has created all of heaven and earth, everything that we see. And he's created you and me, all of humanity, for a a relationship of worship and of love with him. Being a part of a, a family of his. The Bible tells us, though, that we have taken that plan and we have completely obliterated it by our own desires and our own doing. We have chosen the other way. We have said, God, yeah, you might have done all this, but I don't really need you. I've got this figured out. I can do it on my own. And in rebelling against God and going down this path that seeks to fulfill ourselves and things that we can gain from this world, we are constantly and and, and, and in an ever-increasing way sinning against God. That's what sin is. It's forsaking God and following ourselves. And the wages, what we earn from that life of sin is death, the Bible says. And and not just physical death, but but eternal death. Our destination is destruction, separation from God. But praise God that he's made a way for us to have a choice. 
for us to not continue down this road, but to seek another road, a road whose gate is narrow, whose path is hard, but whose destination is eternal life. And that he has done by taking on flesh in the man, Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, the one that we cannot live, the one that no man has ever lived except for Jesus. And he died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, but that we did. The wages of sin is death. Christ did not sin. He didn't deserve death, but he did anyway. So that God's wrath, his punishment, his justice for our sin would be made perfect, would be made whole, would be made complete in Christ's sacrifice. Praise God, Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again from the dead, physically, bodily, to ensure our resurrection from the dead too. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to worry about where you're going when you die, because Christ has been raised from the dead. And for those of us who have faith in Christ, like Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, it is by grace through faith that you are saved. God's good gift of salvation to us through faith in Jesus Christ and by turning from sin that we experience salvation. And in being saved and trusting Christ and turning from sin, we walk forward in a new kind of life, a life that is not lived to fulfill ourselves. Right, to make me happy today, but a life that is lived looking toward eternal happiness in the presence of God. Doing the kinds of good works that Christ did. We can't do those beforehand because Christ isn't in us, but after we trust Christ, we can do those things. Right? We can lead people to the gospel. We can overcome sin in our daily life. We can persevere this difficult path because Christ is in us. And the good news of the gospel is that when you die... Should you die before Christ returns, that you will be with him in paradise. And that when he returns, you will also, like him, be raised. These bodies, physical bodies, will be raised from the dead. You will live for eternity in the presence of God for those of you who are trusting in Jesus. In a body like the one that you have now, except for without all the things you don't like, maybe. Um, Okay? And without, especially without the stain of sin. Right? The stain of disappointment from people and, and disappointment in ourselves because we just keep letting ourselves down. Right? But in the resurrection, we'll, we'll be made perfect. We will be like he is, Scripture says. That's good news. You who are believers today who are walking with Christ, endure the path set before you for the joy that is yet to come. Live disciplined lives. Dig down deep into God's word and fight through the temptations of sin that come at you every day. Fight! Because the destination is so good. Those of you who are not believers, get off the road that leads to destruction. Turn around. Drive against the grain. Find the narrow gate that is Christ and enter into a path with so many others, billions over history, who have trusted Jesus for salvation. There may seem like few on the road because it's not very broad and it's hard to see ahead. You may feel like you're the only one or one of just a short number, one of just a small number who are doing this. But on the other side, you will see that you are following in a line of billions of faithful believers who have in their entire life lived walking persistently, steadfastly against the grain of a sinful culture, of a culture that says you are your own God, you can figure it out on your own. There's, there's encouragement in that. that. Even though we may not see it, even though today we are in the minority, on the other end of things, we will see that we are in the presence of, of billions who have done it as well. 
uh, billions whose God, who, of whom God's grace has reached and transformed and changed through faith in Christ and repentance from sin. Brothers and sisters, in a moment we're going to sing a song of response. And my call to you today is this. If you are here and you do not know Jesus today, you are not walking that path. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Come to Christ today. Humble yourself. Admit that you can't do anything to gain God's righteousness because He's eternally perfect and you are infinitely sinful. But in Christ, you can be right with Him. Place your faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus for salvation today. Turn from your sin and walk in faithfulness to Christ. For the believer that's here today, maybe God's convicting you. He was me last night as I was thinking about this study. Maybe today you need to renew your repentance as a response to God's word. Maybe where you are, you need, you need to kneel. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Uh, maybe just quietly, wherever it is that you happen to find yourself. Maybe you need to recommit yourself to repentance today. Maybe you've, you've placed that faith in Christ, but you've been, you've been walking in disobedience to Him. You've been following a path of sin. You've been going down that easy road. Let today be a day of repentance for you and, and renewal in your relationship with Christ. Don't let today go by without responding to Jesus before we leave. Everybody, uh, bow your heads and close your eyes with me and and praise team is going to come and prepare to lead us.